So let's be seated, shall we? And uh, Wendy's going to bring our reading. We're continuing. We've, we've heard that first part of Genesis chapter 1. And uh, Wendy's going to continue from verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 26, and then chapter 2, verse 1. Can you hear me? Yes? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Sorry, Paul. Oh, yes. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> oh, dear. Sorry. Right, where am I? I can't see. I'm 26. Then God said, let us make human beings. Is that right, Paul? <laughs> in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own name, image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground Everything that has the breath of life has the breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heaven and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, me again. Uh, I, I, I did get to um, have a look at um, the sermon last week, and I realised I spoke ridiculously fastly, uh, quickly. So we'll see if I can speak slower, but uh, not promising anything. Uh, for those of you I haven't met, my name is Aidan. I'm the curate here at Christchurch, uh, and I'm part of the team that's leading us at the moment. And um, before I say anything else, I just want to recognise this week 
We've had a bit of a wrestling about whether we should change what we were going to do this morning. Um, we've just started a new sermon series. Uh, last week I was here starting our new series, All Things New, joining in God's story of recreation. Uh, and, you know, given the light of what's going on in Ukraine, um, we were just wrestling with, do we kind of go away with it from, from it for this week? But actually, as we were thinking and praying, the more and more uh, we realized that actually there is some real, real uh, applicability of what we were going to do today. Uh, there's some real kind of, hopefully, uh, real, real sense of purpose and hope that it's going to come through what I was going to talk about anyway. So um, we do feel it's appropriate. We've also got this evening, I think Paul mentioned our prayer for Ukraine service uh, at 8 p.m. We're opening the church from 6.30, but we've, we're praying at 8 o'clock as well. But um, we are going to continue with this series, as I said, and uh, we're looking at this, this idea of all things new. And last week, I introduced some themes, uh, some common themes throughout, uh, uh, that we're going to be covering throughout this series, and, and hopefully this will work. Well, the first one uh, I talked about was, the story you live in is the story you live out. This is a quote from Pete Hughes's book uh, that we're kind of following along with this series. Uh, and, it's, and it's really, really profound, because as big as the events are in this world around us, as troubling as they are, God is bigger. As big as the news stories are, and as troubling as they are, God's story is bigger and better. And if, like me, you've been glued to the news this week, uh, and worried and focused on and, and all the distressing stories that have emerged, actually one of the ways I think I've been able to find some peace and comfort is by broadening the scope, thinking about God and his story and his work. And, and again, last week I said uh, this, I used this quote and I stand by it. As we immerse ourselves in the greatest story ever told, we find our ultimate sense of belonging, our purpose in the present, and our hope for the future. And that's, that last bit kind of stood out to me this week. We, I think we could all use some hope. Uh, and looking first to God and his story, and then his plans, and finding our place in that story uh, is hopefully you know, going to be really, really helpful for us. I was on a course this week with Joe, who's been leading our music. I was on a course with him and his brother, Ollie. I say course, it was a golf course. Um, I'll level with you. Uh, you know, <laughs> Ollie, Joe's brother, said something that really struck me as I was wrestling with what we we're going to do this morning. He said, actually... When we come back to the story of creation, that God created things good, that actually whenever, however things get, bad things get, actually we can remember that God created things good and they will be good again. We need to, actually there's never a bad time to remind ourselves that God is sovereign, God is involved, God is in charge and he is involved in his creation and that can only be a good thing for us. And it gives me hope. And actually, I think we have a, a story and a message of hope to give to our society around us that for many uh, are struggling to find hope at the moment. So thinking about creation, uh, I want to I cover three what questions uh, this morning. What, what question? What does creation tell us about God? What does Genesis tell us about us as his creation? And then what does it mean for us today? That's where we're going. Now you notice with those three questions, I haven't got the how in there. 
I don't know about you, but uh, my experience of church wrestling with this passage is the how did God create the world has dominated the discussion. Uh, Creation versus evolution, science versus religion was really, really prevalent when I first started coming to church. Uh, Now, we can go into that discussion, but I think as a church, we've uh, kind of around the world, we're moving away from that. We're realizing that actually Genesis is more about the why did God create? What did God create? Why is the world the way it is? More than kind of the how, the nitty gritty how stuff. Pete Hughes in his book does address the how, does talk about this kind of conversation uh, around science and, and how we, the Bible speaks into this. And, and I do thoroughly, thoroughly recommend the book to you. It's really, really helpfully, uh, chapter one really helps us kind of think about how ancient texts that the Bible is, how they speak into a modern context, how we can use context and history to understand a Bible, the Bible as well. And I really do recommend that to you. But actually, I want to focus more on these what questions this morning. I want to first focus on what does creation tell us about God? If you were here last week or, or watching online, uh, you will have you heard me talk about how a lot of the Old Testament and a lot of the Bible is actually more about what God is like than his doing. What is his being more than his doing? Um, because once we understand what God's being is, we understand what he does. We can look at the things he does and it makes sense because God does things because of the way he is. And what he does shapes who we are as his creation, his creatures. And who we are shapes the way we live and the lives that we live out. The beginning of Genesis is primarily about what God is like and why his creation is the way it is. What his doing, his creation is his doing, uh, why it is the way it is. And that's not just Genesis 1. You know, over recent weeks, we've been trying to read more and more of the Bible together, haven't we? We've been challenged to read a whole gospel at a time. Well, Genesis 1 is not the complete story. Yes, it's a part of the story. It's a big part of the story, but it's not the complete story. Even when we look at Genesis 3, like we're going to do next week, that's not the complete story. The fall is not the end. Actually, Genesis 1 to 11 is more of a complete narrative in some ways where we journey through uh, Adam and Eve and their their children. We get the tragedy of Cain and Abel. We get Noah's story. And then it all culminates with the Tower of Babel and the nations being scattered and separated. And the big thing we discover as we read that story is that God is involved. And God is deliberately involved in his creation. He is the creator and it is deli- it's important to recognize how deliberately he is involved and his deliberate choice to create. Many other religions, especially the ones at the time when Genesis were written, uh, was written, did not uh, believe that creation was deliberate. You know, either it was a result of God's warring and it was a byproduct of their war, kind of the aftermath of the war creation appears. Here, here we are. Uh, or in, in like the Greek religion, there's a kind of primordial chaos that out of this some deities emerge and they have different relationships with one another and they have offspring that are kind of random and the earth kind of comes about through that story. But the Jewish and the Christian understanding of creation that comes from Genesis is that God chose deliberately to create. Here we find one God choosing to create, deliberately crafting his creation, speaking it into existence. Let there be light. Let us make. 
Let us make. Let, it, let there be birds. Let there be fish. Let, you know, he is deliberately crafting the world. But therefore, we have a creator, a creation that reveals its creator. What do I mean by that? Well, when we go for a walk out and we see a stunning sunset, I don't know if you, about you, but I sometimes go, wow, God's amazing. It, creation points to its creator. It reveals the creator. Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Isaiah 40, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who, who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them, each of them, by name. And then in the New Testament, this, this and the theme continues where Paul writes, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So when we look at creation, it is so easy to think of and worship the creator behind it. That's what the, the idea behind the video was to start our service, that we would look at those images and we think, wow, God's amazing. As we see the tiger kind of going in the water. Sorry, that was my favorite image on it. Uh, kind of in it, just that image and just the joy of a tiger playing in the water. He's like, wow, okay, the God who was behind that. God cares for his creation. And this, along with a whole load of other reasons, is why we need to care for his creation as well. We have been given this planet. We've been given this earth to steward. And um, each week, as I said, we've been giving challenges, uh, kind of spiritual practices to put out, uh, to, to kind of try and live out this life that we're learning about. Uh, and, and as we start Lent on Wednesday, uh, our spiritual practice for this week is, and a challenge is to, to care for God's creation a bit more. I know everyone is doing what they can. Everyone is living, uh, you know, recycling more and using uh, more sustainable methods of everything. But over these 40 days, let's take up the challenge to go greener for Lent. And there's going to be a bunch of resources on the church website uh, in, in time for Ash Wednesday. Let's, let's use this Lent period to care for God's creation more, this gift that he has given us. Now, I could obviously could spend a lot longer on this, but for the rest of our time together, I just want to narrow the story down and look to ourselves a bit. I want to think about us. What does creation tell about us? Uh, you know, how wonderful we are. I don't know if you find it comfortable talking about how brilliant and amazing you are. I don't really struggle. I'm amazing. Uh, <laughs> but our reading uh, that we had started, uh, started with verse 26. Then God said... Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, Ooh, pre in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. I don't know why that keeps moving on. I'm just going to read it. <laughs> over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. In many ways, that verse 27, he, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That is the, the pinnacle of the story in Genesis 1. That is the climax. We've gone through all of this creation narrative uh, where the sun, moon, earth, stars are, are, are made and, and livestock and, and birds and fish are all come about. And God sees these things and says they are good. And then he creates human beings in his own image. And he looks at all he has said. Uh, is made, and he says uh, that it is very good. 
And he gives human beings, he gives them dominion, he gives them power, responsibility for the earth. But what does it mean when it says that we're made in the image of God? I'll go for that picture now if I can get it there. Uh, recently I watched a film called The Eternals. It's a Marvel film that's come out. Uh, and in, in, in this film, they, we introduced these characters, uh, the Celestials, they're called. They're kind of the creators in the Marvel universe. And I was thinking about the image of God. What does it mean to be made of the image of God? And I thought of these guys, because they're massive. They're bigger than planets. They, in fact, are born in planets. And, uh, but they've got heads, they've got arms, they've got chests. That, you know, they're humanoid. Is that what it means to be made in the image of God, that somehow he's just a, a kind of universe-sized uh, human being? Is that what it is? That's just the way my brain works. Um, but actually, no. <laughs> Being made in the image of God, maybe there's some truth to that. Jesus did walk, I suppose, uh, and was a human. But the, the language being made in the image and the likeness of God is taken from uh, kind of the, the world of Mesopotamia and ancient Egypt. And in those settings, the king or the pharaoh, they would be described as being in the image or the likeness of a particular god. They would, in some sense, be divine. Pharaoh would expect worship from his subjects. So it's fair to say that when Genesis says uh, that all people, all men and all women, are made in the image of God, that is somewhat politically subversive. But it does also mean that all human beings do carry with them a sense of the divine. We have something of God in us. We all have souls. We are spiritual beings at our very core. We are, we are worshipful people. And this is, uh, and this is you know, a statement of what we're, what, who we are. But more than that, I think this, this comment, uh, this, this phrase, the image of God, is about relationship. We are made for relationship. We're made for relationship with God. And this is the underlying message of all of Genesis. As we get to Genesis 5... Um, we find the story continues through Adam and his children. It says, When God created humankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And then it goes on. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. It's the same Hebrew words here as used in a few chapters earlier in Genesis 1. The clear suggestion is that what Seth is to Adam, humanity is to God. We are children of God. And, and of course, it's actually used in the language of sonship. And uh, just as a son is, uh, in ancient terms, had, it, comes with, it came with status uh, and, and privilege and power and, and an inheritance, we as God's children, as God's uh, you know, adopted children, we, we have... Uh, an inheritance, don't we? Especially as Christians. This is a language that continues throughout the Bible. God calls Israel his firstborn son. A common understanding for Israel was to think of God as their father. Jesus obviously called God father all the time. He always looked to his father in heaven. And God is father in his very being. He, he loves us in the same way that a perfect love, a perfect father would always love his child. And it's the same that gets extended to us, this love. Next week, we're going to think about the kind of next part of the story. The reality that actually creation and the image of God in us has kind of been distorted. 
The creation has fallen. The world is not the perfect good thing that it was designed to be. And we are going to dwell in that. The image of God has been distorted. But just, just as we look out at a creation and see how wonderful and beautiful it is, even though it is flawed, we look at the world and we know the flaws in it. We know earthquakes and all these kind of things exist. But there is beauty. There is so much beauty in the world. And just as human beings are, distorted, are broken in many ways, we all fall short. Actually, there is so much beauty still there. There is so much of the image of God still left with us. We are still made for relationship with God. We still carry his love with us. And so as I think about our final question today, what does it mean for us today living in this? What is the takeaway from all this kind of thinking? Well, I think it is that you and I and all human life, whatever background, whatever age, whatever class, race, or especially for today, nationality, whatever, whatever, whether we're British, French, German, Chinese, Somalian, Eritrean, Ukrainian, or Russian, we are made in the image of God. We carry his love. We are made for relationship with him. And we need to recognize this for ourselves. You know, first off, we have to understand that however we are feeling today, However you are feeling this morning, uh, worried, anxious, whatever fears you have, you can, you can find peace, confidence, self-worth, comfort, joy, and hope in the fact that you are an image bearer of God. You carry with you his love. He loves you. The one who made the sun, moon, earth, and stars loves you like a perfect father would love his children. And of course, this love is not just a, a, a brief thing. This is not just a momentary thing. God is eternal. This, is, this eternal relationship, uh, th- this eternal love that he has is an eternal relationship that he offers. The fears of this world that includes death don't exist when it comes to relationship with God. We, we have a, a hope for a relationship with God that extends for all of eternity. But as well as ourselves, we also have a message of hope for those around us. I had a conversation with someone uh, yesterday who, who doesn't come to church, and they were just terrified. They were looking at the news in Ukraine and just going out and terrified for the, whatever the decisions they make. I just hope nothing affects me and my family. And he was just thinking of his children. I understand that feeling. Of course I do. But as we kind of broaden the scope and, and recognize that we are made in the image of God, that, that he is with us and he loves us and he loves each and every human being, it, for me it helps me shift that perspective to once more think of the other and share this hope and this love that we have. Find hope and strength for others this morning and share it with them. You know, people are afraid. As I look and listen to people, people are afraid in our communities. People are afraid throughout the world. I, I've spoken this week with, with friends I have in this country. I've spoken with Moldovans especially because I've been to Moldova a few times and have quite a few friends out there and they are obviously being very impacted by this. I've also spoken to Russian people this week that I know and I've met through this global world that we live in. And the thing that unites us is that we're all fit, uh, afraid and we're all concerned, but more than that, we are all united that we have a God who loves us and is desperate for relationship with us. Now, I don't know what the coming days are going to hold. I don't know where we're going. Of course, we don't, but I'm convinced that as a church, we are called at this time to maintain a bigger perspective, 
a bigger story, a God who, remember a God who is involved, a God who cares, and a God who is reaching out. And we take that with us to whatever spiritual front lines we may go to. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you for your creation. Thank you for the beauty in it. Thank you for the wonder of a sunrise, of a mountaintop, of birdsong. Thank you for all our favourite things in this world. Thank you that they point us to you, a God who cares, a God who has always been involved in his creation. You are not distant. You love and are involved in your world. Lord, we offer to you this, this world that is broken, this world that has rebelled against your perfection, that is marred by the effects of sin. Lord, we bring to you our fears and our worries, and we ask that you would give us strength, give us hope in you and who you are, and give us a perspective that tells us that this is not the way it would always be, that there is a hope that we are journeying towards. There is a recreation coming. We pray for all of our community who are struggling and alone at the moment. Help us, use us to share your gospel of hope, your good news in a time that could really use some. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.